Welcome back, everyone, to the Enter the Mystery show. Uh, we are kicking off the new season here with an awesome guest, uh, Chance Garten from the Innerverse podcast. Thank you for joining me on here. Hey, Cam, it's good to meet you and good to uh, say hello to everyone listening. Always love coming on other shows, and I can already tell that this podcast is very much in line with the way that my show originated and feel we've got kindred spirits here and we should have a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So I know you're constantly interviewing others on your show and I wanted to get to know the man behind uh, the podcast that has helped inspire me so greatly with a lot of knowledge of self pretty much. So if you'd like to kick it off with how was your hero's journey started as far as shifting paradigms towards seeking out consciousness of self? Uh, well, there's a lot of factors, right? But in all senses, I'm a regular guy like anybody else. Maybe I have an aptitude for certain things like uh, kind of spongy when it comes to trivia and knowledge. So at a certain point in my life, uh, I, you know, I went through the college indoctrination up to my mid-20s. I was pretty similar to any average you know, early 20 something guy in the Midwest, right? And uh, there's a lot of challenges with being a regular guy in 20 something Midwest land. There's so much propaganda that had entered into my system from going to university that uh, I really found myself at odds with uh, people around me that I, after I came back from school, like family members, because I had this sort of new leftist lens to look at the reality through and although i never like fell deep into a i'm a republican or i'm a democrat i never claimed any of those titles even at the earliest stages of my awakening mm. it was not helpful at all to go to uh university and get all of those messages mixed up in my mind because when it came down to it after i left there i had no practical ability to do anything other than to now look at the world through this different lens. But I kind of leveraged that as an English major. I did a lot of literary analysis and uh, they sort of accidentally gave me something really useful <laughs> in school, <laughs> which was an interest in symbolism and symbolic literacy, but not in the occult sense, just in the sort of basically deciphering a story and what the, um, what the themes are. Yeah. But at a certain point, when I got into meditation, thanks to a really awesome teacher near the end of going to college, uh, I got shown a different way of existing, if you will, like to clear the mind and breathe more deeply and have a daily practice of something that was just for my own good and for no other constructive purpose. And so getting into meditation, it was a slow process. Uh, I wouldn't say that right after I learned how to do it, I was an adamant meditator. And even since then, there's some weeks where I do it almost every day. And then a lot of weeks where I barely do it. But the difference was that I started to just calm down and get less stressed out. And I lost a lot of weight that I'd put on from college. I mean, whenever I went and lived in the dorms, I ballooned up a hundred pounds within a couple, like within less than two years, it was really alarming to me. And that was part of what was so sabotaging to my self-confidence early on while I was looking for external meaning to 
helped me not feel like crap all the time. I had no idea back then that the reason why people are in bad moods is because it doesn't feel good to be in their body because there's health issues. It took me a while to get further than that as far as health goes. The first thing that was required for me to get there was to just like at least deal with the mental side of the stress and the thinking. And changing your thinking can change everything eventually. So getting into that as my first spiritual practice, I guess, was really helpful. And then there's a class that I had with a teacher named Scott Cairns, who is also an author, but he uh, did a really interesting course where it was all about writing your own spiritual journey. And up to that point, college had been completely a-spiritual. And this was one of the last courses I took as well. And uh, they, he, he basically just wanted you to say whatever it was you thought about the reality and write about it throughout the class. And there was no right or wrong answers. And for the first time since I had kind of rejected the Christian upbringing, thanks to films that came out around when I was leaving high school, like Zeitgeist, really big one, that showed... Um, it showed how all these different religions that are seen as separate are really like the same thing, just repackaged, but it didn't give you, it just showed you sort of like that dark side of it that made it look like it's all fake. And instead um, what happens is people then reject everything when they maybe learn a little bit about astrotheology, they learn that Jesus is also Mithras is also Horus and it goes on. You're like, well, okay, this is all fake. And you just reject it all. And it leads you into an atheist. I think that might be part of what blew that movie up was to like promote this sort of atheistic way of looking at the world, a spiritual. But I had this class that asked me to start thinking about these things again. And for the first time in the entirety of being in college, I started re rethinking, well, what are my views on what life is? And is there such a thing as spirit? Is there such a thing as God? And uh, I, I mean, I didn't have a lot there uh i just kind of started to open the door and think about it by doing this writing and you know compared to what how i see things now and the things i've learned and experienced it's like man i wonder what what papers i would write for that class today but uh it opened a door for me that stayed open that in combination with meditating and uh then there was a class being way more detailed than i thought i would be but then there was one last class that really helped me transition which wasn't really the class so much it was what I wrote about I got into a, a project about the economic system and I was just trying to figure out okay what is money how does it work because it's something that you're not taught in high school you're probably not taught in college most of the time and now more people are aware of this but back in like 2010 even 10 years ago it was a lot less people were a lot less aware of the fact that fiat currency as it is now is completely based in debt and that's a whole nother long story. But once I figured out that the entire economic system was designed as a game of musical chairs where there's never going to be enough money in the system to pay off all the debts. So not everyone's going to get a chair at the end of the song. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, this is completely warped. And that was the first couple of seeds that were planted in me that were like, okay, you could, you need to talk about this, do something about it. So few people know about it. And look deeper into that and how income inequality is a, something that you can chart on a graph directly in line with the occurrence of social cohesion problems from everything to drug abuse, suicide, teen pregnancy, the nine, everything is connected to income inequality. 
And you know, when you learn that and you came from a, a college town and they gave you a lot of sort of left-leaning perspectives, you might end up thinking, okay, we need to do something to control all this more directly, like communism or the uh, resource-based economy that Jacques Fresco put out there with the Venus Project, which still, still has some interesting ideas. But it was a long time till eventually I found my way to recognizing that it's actually the concept of uh, government itself that is the immoral thing, that external rulers could impose any laws over us that are in some way different than just the natural law that your conscience already mm. inherently has. But it was a while before I got there. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I left college. I'm going to get to the point of the story. And was still feeling kind of listless and uh, directionless. And something occurred to me whenever I started going to music festivals where I saw this art and all this music and all this crazy sort of uncensored, uncorporatized creativity everywhere. And so many people in their flow state in one way or another all around me, just the vibe and the energy of that type of thing versus the collective energy of walking around on campus. It was like night and day. And it occurred to me at some point around then that the reason I didn't feel fulfilled is because I wasn't creating anything, that I was strictly in a consumer mode, consume entertainment, consume trash food, you know, consume, consume, do nothing to create. And, you know, you're never going to balance those scales perfectly, especially in today's society. But I, I started getting into just doing art, like drawing with Sharpies, uh, really <laughs> compared to, you know, maybe some of the art I've made more recently. It was like, you know, little kid stuff, but it wasn't, that doesn't make it bad. It was fulfilling. It started to rewire my brain when I was doing just like the meditation and daily practice, doing a little bit of a, a time, a little bit of art at a time adds up to something. You know, you watch a TV episode of a show every day, five years later, you have a, a foggy memory of that show. And the energy was sort of just like siphoned out of you or evaporated into the ether, the energy of your attention, which is like the main form of energy that you have to spend. But whenever you create something, you put that energy into a vessel and into a container and it lasts longer. It has a return to you. Like you can look at that canvas on the wall that you painted and you'll be taken back to the time of when you did it. And it's like a memory anchor and memories are the most powerful thing. And in the consume culture, we're just taking in things mindlessly. We're not even really forming memories properly. Uh, when, when every day is exactly the same or generally the same as the day before. And without that, then what is our life anyway, other than just sort of this hazy dreamlike blur. Mm. So getting into creating was the, the real step on the spiritual path for me. And that led me to so many places because once I started to draw, then I got interested in like, well, how can I convert these drawings into digital art, vector graphics, things like that started applying that idea of doing a little bit every day to also like learning a tutorial every day about a program I wanted to get better at. And I stayed on that path and, and made art and tried to sell some art for a couple of years. And my spiritual curiosity was thirsty. And I was exploring concepts like shamanism before I got into more Western occultism. But my spiritual windows were definitely opened and maybe some psychedelic use helped with that. 
in that time frame as well to uh, maybe kind of squeegee the third eye a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I would have these amazing conversations with, with people that I witnessed in their flow state and I wanted to like understand, you know, how, how is it that you're making it as a, a painter and just traveling from place to place, setting up a booth at events and just living kind of more free than everybody else? You know, how, how, how are people actually taking what they're passionate about and turning it into their livelihood? And these conversations would inspire me so much that I was like, other people need to hear it. Podcasts were a big part of my life at that point in terms of helping me change the way I thought about things. Because, you know, whenever you're just in silence and you don't have a good handle on your thoughts, or you have a lot of repetitive thoughts or OCD, that silence is not silent at all. <laughs> at the very least, if you're choosing intentional information to come into your ears, like everyone's doing right now is everyone's doing right now that's listening. Uh, it sort of, it gives you positive thoughts in your head for a while in a way it's like intentional thoughts in your head. You're we're here with you in your head right now. If you're listening, it's, it's a really cool and magical thing. So that led me to starting the show, which was initially just wanting to, I wanted to promote artists that I thought were cool. I wanted to be a platform that helped other people reach more, more people. And as I continued on that journey, it became something different over time. And now I don't know what you would categorize my show as, but it's kind of like truther, spiritual, art, art. <laughs> those are like the three main categories. I don't know, consciousness, conspiracy, creativity, yeah. uh, self-discovery. Those are sort of like the, there's no one category, but over time it evolved. And now like the way that I see the world and what I know as opposed to believe is so radically different than before I started the journey. And it's just, I'm so grateful that I did take those steps five years ago to start doing this work because now what I can achieve and the time it takes me to do it and the quality level of it, it's so different than five years ago. If you pick something and stick with it for five years, you will barely recognize the technician at that operating board five years later. The, what you will have learned from it, it's just a gradual snowballing process, but you might go a while without learning a new trick. But then when you do, or you get that next piece of equipment or have that realization about how to shift your emphasis or, or whatever, these are, this is the journey and that's the joy that you're supposed to be in. That's the flow state. Not like to accomplish the one goal that you set out to do, but to stay in the process, the daily practice. And so that's kind of like what, where I came from to where I am now and sort of my best summary of it. Awesome. Thank you for that, brother. There's a lot to hit on as far as um, recognizing early on the leftist programming I didn't go to college. I dropped out of a postgraduate school. Um, I had like serious mental issues up there. And I, like yourself, found meditation and that helped me really start, you know, gathering myself, gathering my own individuality. Um, and I'm finding more and more that I'm seeing my peers that are in college are pushing a lot of this progressive uh, social justice warrior uh, energy. And I've almost seen it as these rebellious spirits are being redirected towards this current that is just continuing to solidify the paradigm that you're talking about of the government of governing our minds. And that's led me to sort of shift my focus more towards what I can do to 
empower myself and, you know, in that way, able to empower others around me so that we can build our own system outside of it. Um, so I'm curious how you found moving, you know, from the conspiracy stage to seeing this dark knowledge coming from zeitgeist of religion to taking it internally and seeing the sacredness in that knowledge. What sort of philosophies, like you're saying, shamanism, Western occultism, could you go into how that's affected your life? Well, there's just been so many teachers on the way that helped me get there. And um, I think when it comes to the spiritual side of things, we have to realize that the people wielding the symbolism are at least from the controller standpoint, they're scavengers. Like evil doesn't have any creative capacity. Yeah, It can't. Uh, it's just the nature of it. It's just it's the inversion of what's good, which means it can only take things that are good and then sort of flip them upside down. Mm-hmm. And that means that even stuff that's being used in a sort of weaponized way, like the savior programming mm-hmm. in all the Western religions really, but especially Christianity, uh, there was actually something there underneath it that it meant that has been totally obfuscated or maybe even humanity dropped below the level of consciousness to even be able to recognize Mm. metaphor and the allegory. So I think the big dividing line for for, uh, religion versus true spirituality is literalism. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing that is lost on people as they see, okay, astrotheology is just like, like the story of New Testament, for example, is just telling you about the Zodiac. You start to be able to mine the symbols out of that mm. narrative and see like, okay, this is actually just an encoding of the story of the sky clock. And even that is sort of missing another level of things, which is, <laughs> we could get into that, but uh, the the problem is like you have your literal interpretation that people give just using the Bible as the example. That means that the character, uh, the characters in the story needed to exist historically on a certain point in the timeline, which it's so complicated why that's a problem. But the, the primary reason that's a problem is because the timeline is artificial anyway. Uh, the way that we count time, it doesn't exist outside of our imaginations and it's the, literally the foundation of every other control system mm. is to put everyone on the same clock, if you will. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go from there because uh, there's a lot of directions that I could explore, but as far as, I don't know, coming, coming out of spiritual materialism goes, I think we have to stop externalizing any aspect of our own power, which means that Maybe you've been really interested in like a goddess character, like Guan Yin, really interesting symbols in that character or in that goddess. But as soon as you're like, okay, that's a real goddess out there that I'm going to communicate with and she's going to give me power. Um, you're, now you've turned something that was a beautiful symbol that was pointing to an aspect of yourself that you could draw up and draw out and you've turned it into kind of a demon. And not all demons are like necessarily an evil. That sounds crazy to say. They, they do, they're programs that run on hypotheticals that do what we ask them to do. Mm. 
So someone could demonize, if you will, uh, Kuan Yin, and but in their reality, that's a positive force. But you still put yourself under or dependent to an external construct that is actually being energized and formed by your own belief and thought in it. So it becomes like a, a thought form in your reality. And like I said, like these things aren't necessarily going to cause you problems, but you know, there's a, there's much worse things that you could create belief-based thought forms out of <laughs> way worse. But uh, you know, like with the, with the Jesus character, as soon as you are saying that that character is actually God, then you've totally missed the point of what God is or what the concept of God was meant to represent. And so that concept is really simple. And that was the biggest, this is the reason I'm winding my way here is because this is the biggest thing that made all the other puzzle pieces click into place for me mm. was uh, finally redefining, not redefining, but defining God correctly, mm. which is not an external from the creation entity, not a white bearded guy in the clouds, not even something that you can really have like a one-to-one -one conversation with as a separate entity, but instead it is a verb. So there's the first difference. It's not a, it's not a noun, it's a verb. And God isn't really its name. It can't have a name. It's the totality of all things in, in self-existence eternally. So it's like also the same way you would define truth. Mm. So I, I would rather even just call the concept I'm talking about truth. Truth is the totality of all things in reality, not even things, just reality itself as a continual process of becoming, if you will. Kind of like we're called human beings, but we forget that the word being is a verb mm. and we treat it like I'm a being, like that's a thing. But actually, you are a human being and the word human is different than man. Human refers to that things that pertain to man, things that man owns. So you own your own being. When you say I'm a human being, that's what it really means is that you, you have ownership of your own process of becoming. But what it's the, when we nounify things, when we make the human being a thing instead of a verb, similar to when we make God a, a noun instead of a verb. Mm. Now we've tried to like contain it and define it in a pinpointed place and time as a thing. Mm. And we've limited the expression of what it could be. So even this concept of like, I'm a human being as a, as a noun means that I'm limited to all the things that I believe that human beings are, as opposed to I am a human being, like I am in the process of becoming, it totally shifts the emphasis on what you think you are from just the, just the ego, just the material existence, or even just the mental existence for some people mm -hmm. into a, a an infinite potential process, if you will. <laughs> the I am that I am is what we are. So when I made that realization about like what God actually is as a verb and that none of us are nouns and that nouns are artificial, it totally, it totally shifts everything, but it's kind of a difficult concept for people because we're so indoctrinated into that language operating system, which is mm. way more primitive than the feeling-based uh, sympathetic language that we're capable of expressing to each other mm. i've found language to be a really great key to uncovering the mystery deeper and realizing like you're saying you know indigenous people speaking as everything around them is in a state of being and there's a reason why the colonizers come and 
you know, they cut their hair, they take away their traditions, they take away their language. Because language in a lot of these ancient cultures is connecting you back to your origins. You know, and that's something that I feel like goes back to that memory thing that memory is power. Mm, absolutely. And a lot of what you're saying with being able to recognize God in all things and in yourself for me came when I got into hermeticism in that Western esoteric path of being able to, you know, see that there are these fundamental objective laws to the universe and that through them, we can seek to know God. I feel like there's a lot of programming out there as far as, you know, making the human feel really insignificant. You're just that scientific materialism. You're just spinning on a ball of nothingness. Nothing has meaning. You know, when you find these deeper spiritual truths, it really ignites that meaning inside everything, you know? So how, um, how have you found specific philosophers um, maybe go into those of who has inspired you the most? Yeah, I figured we were going to go there. So I left that out of my earlier reply, but there are a lot. Um, but in terms of who I'd recommend, I actually want to put people on individuals that are creating content right now, mm -hmm. more than pointing them to, you know, old books that were written by people that don't see the world that we are in today, yeah. necessarily. Not yeah. that there isn't value there. I mean, someday I'm going to go back and read a lot of Rudolf Steiner, for example. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Before we started talking, you mentioned Manly P. Hall, and that can be useful for starting to gain some symbolic literacy, which is the most important mm. line of defense as far as psychic self-defense goes is symbolic literacy. If you know what, if you consciously recognize the symbols that are coming at you, then they don't bypass and go straight into your unconscious. You can be like, oh, mm. I know what that is. I don't accept that as uh, the way it's trying to manipulate me. And mm -hmm. it's a very helpful thing. So symbolic literacy, I think one of the best teachers for that and is Michael Tessarion on the Unslaved podcast. I, I hate having to do this, but I feel like it should be obvious that I don't, any one teacher that I may talk about today, I don't think that you should believe everything that they say as exactly the truth, right? Uh, there's plenty of ways that I have differing perspectives uh, with some of the greatest teachers out there, especially about the concept of government, like whether that should even exist. Yeah. But uh, with, with Tessarion, the reason I bring him up is because you can learn tarot and astrology through his work really well. If you actually like go to his presentation materials, the podcast he does is great too. But I learned a lot of symbolic literacy, literacy through his Path of the Fool series that teaches on the major arcana of the tarot and how that connects to the Kabbalistic tree of life and how that connects to the Zodiac and learning those things is useful because kind of like whenever I was an English major in college, just getting better at symbolism in general and storytelling and, th and understanding themes, you can apply that to the story of your own life on a daily basis or on a bigger picture basis and interpret the experiences that you have in the same way that you would do dream interpretation mm. because it's all a dream even right now this experience that we're having is it's just a different level of dream and so once you can do that you can start to decipher what the your unconscious what the the deeper infinite part of yourself the pleroma the totality the 
intelligence of God? What is it trying to communicate to you? Mm-hmm. And uh, within the, yeah, you go from there. I mean, you, you just see it constantly. It opens up the doors of perception to witness the perpetual synchronicity that you're always embedded within, as opposed to things just seeming so bland and repetitive. You start to recognize eternity in every second mm-hmm. because eternity is literally always winking at you from somewhere, somehow, even if it's in a subtle way that you have to be paying attention to. Like, I guess an example would be like, I'm always listening to a show or something and this happens almost every day. And there's some obscure concept or word that I think about and I send somebody a text maybe to tell them something about this. And then on the show I'm listening to, as I'm typing out the word, they say the word out loud and then they like totally shift directions and start talking about that thing. And it's just like, you pick up on these little ripples and currents, um, the inside and the outside being really no different. And yeah, uh, that's just one teacher though. I was supposed to talk about teachers. I've been really into a guy named James True lately. Might not be everyone's cup of tea. I don't say that because I think there's anything wrong with him, but just because uh, (laughs) he sort of created a cool alternative language around the concepts he discusses. And it might take a little bit of following him to understand some of the terminology that he's using because he's, he's sort of taking language back in, in a sensible way, in my opinion. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's a, a teacher named Clint Richardson, where I learned a lot about this concept of what God actually is and a lot of the deeper metaphorical or poetic meanings in the Bible that were so helpful to me. Again, not someone that is uh, as popular as I think he should be. Um, and I'm not sure why that is other than people don't want to necessarily go full hog in terms of recognizing the truth and like what the Babylon system actually is and how the, how it's literally antithetical to nature, which means anti-God and like our part in it and what we would need to do to actually be, for lack of a better phrase, men of God would require that we were just like completely removed from Babylon. So, you know, on one side, you got teachers like Clint, who, although he's still living in society too, so he can teach people, uh, his information makes me think the path forward is definitely going to be to build something different outside of the system and leave, leave it all behind. And then there's a, I listen to other teachers like James True who recognize Babylon for all the same things that Clint talks about, but his take is that, you know, this is our great love is to, uh, he would put it as a season. We're here to be, we're here to be devoured by the lion that is society or Babylon, but that we season it with our salt and our flavor in the act of being devoured. (laughs) And so like, you know, I, I like, I look at both sides of the spectrum because yeah. I think while I'm here, at least I definitely want to season things with my flavor <laughs> and, and make that a, a flavor that's non-toxic and, and safe for children. But <laughs> those are some of the three that I'm really into right now. But I, I go through a lot of material. Uh, Crow, Crow Triple Seven. That's a great podcast to get into. Those guys are amazing. Uh, Crow and Jason. So there's, we're really in an abundance, an embarrassment of riches in terms of the knowledge accessible to us, but uh, we got to be careful not to, I do this all the time, not to get stuck on any one show that that's our only primary source of information. Like 
I compare Joe Rogan or Alex Jones to being a cul-de-sac before the gold mine. Mm. There's guys out there that'll give you content that has some actionable intelligence in it that could be quite useful. I think that's the key phrase, actionable intelligence. When you're looking at the darker cult, I don't think it's helpful to necessarily need to turn over every stone of every story and be like, well, 9-11, I'm sure that it was space lasers or whatever, and I can prove it. And like, really, where's the actionable intelligence there, Mm. uh, arguing about the small details? So it's better to just be like, okay, we know that to some degree, these false flags are staged. So the actionable intelligence here is to not buy into it and not let the Hegelian dialectic play out on us individually and maybe prevent it from happening to others if we can help them sort of see the truth. But that's the, that's the key. Like you get into studying conspiracy, you find out all the ways that our environment and our food and everything's toxified. Well, the actionable intelligence there is to start detoxing yourself from it, not to be so obsessed with digging up every element of that mystery and how it all got set up that we uh, waste the time we could have spent making ourselves healthier. Mm. So there's a balance because, I mean, we'll be talking about some of these conspiracies. I'm sure there'll be a thousand JFK podcasts just this year in 2021 still. You know, that stuff's important. Um, It's important because you never know where someone's coming from when they encounter material like that. And maybe that's the one story that will help them kind of click and see the big picture better it's all a bunch of puzzle pieces right but yeah look for the actual intelligence in what you're studying with the dark occult and mind control studying mind control that's one of the best ways that you can find actionable intelligence is to understand methods of manipulation mark passio is a great teacher for that uh, what on earth is happening.com and the guy i mentioned earlier james true i'm reading a book of his called blueprints for mind control i think and That's a very helpful book as well. Uh, And it's funny because you might read that and be like, well, I don't agree with this, or it sounds kind of like he's pro-Trump or something. But if you go listen to him today, and that book is from like two or three years ago, he's not pro-Trump or whatever. So you got to like let even the people that are teaching you, let them evolve. Like if they're wrong about something and you know it, and you're going through some material that they made four years ago, then just be like, okay, they're wrong about that and move on. And don't be like, well, they're a shill, you know, and they totally cut out everything that they else that they say that might have been helpful. You might have reason to believe they're shill at a certain point, and then that's fine. And then maybe ditch that teacher if there's enough stacking up like obvious malicious intent or, in, you know, because um, there is a lot of this in the truth movement is fake truthers or people that are useful idiots that just spread unhelpful information. At the end of the day, I think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil should have been called the tree of the, the tree of the knowledge of useless information, because that is the number one way that we are kept from knowing the difference between good and evil mm. is by being constantly inundated with a bunch of worthless information. I mean, all this technological advancement and infrastructure that humanity has forced itself into over the last few years, at the end of the day, it's been very there hasn't been much other use for it other than entertainment <laughs> for most of it. So we could turn that ship around. I mean, you and I are using this technology for something that is probably entertaining, hopefully, but also constructive. And uh, yeah, the, the internet's a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like we worked so hard to set up something to replace something that was already working with something that wasn't as good, but we just kept at it until it became so ingrained in, 
our processes that we can't do without it, mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because uh, I don't see there being a lot less paper used or wasted just because we're all digital now. There's still, the rainforests are still getting deforested. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll stop there. Um, what you're saying about the conspiracy truth culture, I've certainly seen as well that there's a lot of these junk conspiracies out there now where it's muddying the waters. And, you know, if we're spending our time throughout the day, all day investigating the bloodlines of the ancient bankers and, you know, on some level this can help, but it's almost like they want you to get your hand caught in the cookie jar where you're only investigating what they're doing. Um, for me, I found this out recently with the science of gematria. You know, every day I could be looking for their code, whether it's in politics or, you know, the sports world or entertainment. But for me, it's more about like seeing the magic that they're using and thinking about how is this an inversion that I could then, how could I weave numbers in, uh, in like intention and magically into my life rather than always pointing the finger seeing this as like that guy said you're getting swallowed by the lion and it's all a purpose you know it's it's really seeing the the shadow as that divine reflection to be able to allow us to then refine ourselves and know where we stand so i don't know how you feel about that as far as um if you've looked into gematria and you know oh, yeah. investigating that level of knowledge but from the perspective of trying to gain you know, a magical comprehension of the universe rather than just digging into, you know, so, so-and-so conspiracy so that you can then, you know, continuously put blame on others. It's more so like gaining self-knowledge through the research. Yeah. When you're looking at that shadow that is the external world of all these conspiracies, Again, the only actionable intelligence there is to figure out how you're connected to those dark things and disconnect your energy from it as best mm -hmm. you can. And then at a certain point, your attention is the energy that has to disconnect from it too. And it's kind of a, a tricky thing. It's a two-way street because we do need to raise awareness about things that are going on that are, that are not desirable because just that collective attention energy and intention for that to stop, I think, does have an effect on the field and the way that things shake out. When it comes to gematria, I've gone into the gematria rabbit hole big time. I've had gematronator Derek Takuri on my show a couple of times. He's a pal of mine. I love his work. I, uh, what I think is that he's doing it better than most other people because I don't see it as being completely absorbing his life. He seems like he has a pretty much got an independent life outside of it. And, you know, there's some gematria teachers that are decoding every headline and for anyone that's not aware, gematria is where you take the, uh, the letters in a word or a phrase and you figure out their numerical equivalent, like A is one, B is two, C is three. And there's multiple ciphers you can use. And when you look at the mainstream media ritual sacrifices of celebrities or um, you know, false flag events and various things, you will find the same number patterns coming up constantly. And it's, it's tough because when you look at your own life and the dates in your life that were important and people that are important to you and things that are important to you, you'll find the same kind of lineups that are organic. So what I think about that type of magic, as far as the way that the dark occult uses it, and I mean, writers like Manly P. Hall 
gave you the ciphers in their book. Mm. They told you that the Freemasons do this and that I know the Jesuits are really into it. It's like their main calling card is to have certain numbers littered throughout all the, the big events that are happening. Mm -hmm. What I think is going on is that the universe is a big syncretic machine where things flow as one. And things are all synchronized together, right? And so in your own life, you see these gematria correspondences in your own organic experience, in your own field and things that matter to you. And so when events are created artificially, maybe they don't have that same type of uh, organic synchronicity, or maybe they do. I really couldn't say, but it seems like there's too, there's more of it in the media than there is in your own mm. organic uh, exploration of your life, typically. Mm. So it seems like it's artificially inserted there. And I think it's the same as all forms of, uh, what do you call ways of doing black magic? This is something Satanists are really into is using um, ritual and theatrical productions to, the idea is that whenever you have, okay, like what is as above, so below, right? Mm -hmm. Think of it like a guitar string. At one point on the guitar's neck is the key of D when you hit that string. But if you go an octave down or up, it's D again. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you play two, two octaves of the same note, you can get a third harmony frequency that emerges out of nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the, think of that as like, the above and the below manifesting the middle in a way. And so what dark occultists or Satanists use their theatrical ritual magic for and staged media events and even Hollywood movies themselves, they're actually doing a ritual just to make the movie. The movie is the ritual, but then everyone watches it and adds their attention energy to it. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're acting out the thing that you want to happen and then you're also in your mind holding the intention of the thing you want to happen as one of these like sort of satanic ritual magic people. And then you're seeking to create the overtone harmony in the physical world, that third note harmonizing between what's inside you and what you're acting out. Mm. If that makes sense, you're using the as above, so below in a musical way to try to manifest this energy in the physical world. All right. So that's trying to control that's trying, that's fear-based in a way that's like saying, I don't trust that the right thing will happen, or I want the, I want something to happen. That's only right for me and not right for anybody else. It's like, you don't trust God or you don't trust reality. You don't trust the truth of what is you're trying to manipulate it. It's not a popular opinion because there's a lot of good people that want to use ritual magic or do use it. I'm not saying that they're wrong to do it or bad. I mean, maybe, maybe for some individuals, it's just about acting out those things to empower themselves on a consciousness level to uh, accept the possibility that the thing that they want to create in their life can come forth. It's not wrong. Like, just like it's not bad for a couple of kids to play army together, you know, and that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to grow up and become a soldier, but also there could be, I mean, there could be something there, but my point is, my point is that if you are just in your own flow state, whether you know about magic or not, things are going to line up automatically for you in, with the inner and external. The harmony is going to happen on its own. God does that or reality does that. If you have a unified um, intention, thoughts, behaviors, and actions all acting in unison together, then you, the, the right result is going to manifest that aligns with 
that unification of intent and behavior. It happens for Darth Vader as much as it happens for Luke, Luke Skywalker. It's just baked in. You could take either path on it, but <clears throat> the Darth Vader path is going to hurt you and hurt others and lead to corruption. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's part of nature as well. There's parts of nature that corrupt other parts of nature to break them down and destroy them. It's like you're allowed to go Darth Vader in this reality, but you also get to choose. It's not the only way to do it. And when it comes to ritual magic or ceremonial magic, I think we don't need these things in terms of like trying to force something to happen. Uh, we can trust more that if we're in our flow state and we're a trustworthy person, that no matter what happens around us, the right, like the right thing will come out of it because there's someone trustworthy there that, and that's you. Mm. So you can kind of get out of being in the afraid and the what if this, what if that, and just accept what is instead of what if, because mm. all demons are hypotheticals. Every program that runs in your mind that alters your behavior in a negative way is based on a what if scenario, a hypothetical that you're trying to avoid or prevent from happening or control the outcome in some way. Mm. So, uh, when it comes to this, like the way that all this conspiracy information, the floodgates have opened and we can reveal so many things that the dark and cold is up to. Actually, some of these very dark and cultists have wrote, like in Tavistock, for example, they've written in their own white papers about how they intentionally, <clears throat> they intentionally planned to let information out in a way that the people that were paying attention would start to spread it. And the structure, the way and the order the information is released to actually imitate the levels of initiation in their own order. And that's probably based on, you know, scavenged traumatic ideas of how to take someone from one level of consciousness to another. But it's a type of dark alchemy that's about lowering mm. the human mind instead of exalting. Mm. And <clears throat> so we have to be. Yeah, we have to be careful and conscious and mindful of that, that we're probably being like, we're probably being used right now just to spread these ideas, mm. people like us. But that, that doesn't mean that we can't still find the right ones and uh, bring those to the table because that sort of neutralizes the, the black magic spell. Mm. And I think the thing that neutralizes the dark occult more than anything is the reality principle itself, is understanding the definition of truth, as I explained it earlier. Uh, because all of us got on this journey because we were trying to find the truth. What is truth? We wanted to know truth. And we're all going to be asking that question forever unless we answer it. So let's just answer the question of what is truth. Truth is the reality of what is in self-existence eternally, perpetually, without, the, uh, without man's intervention. It's what was here before and what will be here without us. So that means we can immediately delineate between things that are artificially created by us through our imagination and things that are part of nature and God. Mm. And that doesn't mean that I, I disagree with some teachers that might say that like, well, everything artificial is therefore evil because it's against nature because it's not what nature would have done. That's not true. We're, we are nature. So when we do something, even artificial nature is acting through us, but we need to understand that because we have this free will, because we can go Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker, because we are meant to be stewards here. That means we can wield the creative and the destructive force together, right? The both sides of that energy polarity. And, you know, if we are completely trapped on one side of the polarity, 
we're either going to have a, a growth paradigm that becomes a cancer or we're going to have a destruction paradigm that leads to nihilism. Mm. You need to realize that. <laughs> I'll let you go now. I think I've been on one for a minute. <laughs> um, as far as the, it's funny you bring up Darth Vader and uh, Luke. I've been finding some serious inspiration from that mythology lately. Um, for me, just getting into like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you know, you can investigate all you want of how Hollywood is this dark, magical organization, but you can actually use what they're putting out to poison you against them by empowering yourself with these archetypes. Um, I'm curious how you see, as we were saying with this leftist programming, there's a lot of push uh, towards equality and sustainable development and just pulling upon this ingrained soul nature in us of like you know feeling united with humanity and i feel like it's it's being co-opted to put us down this stream of homogenization and losing individuality so i'm curious how you see um the hierarchy working in the universe do you feel like there is a moral hierarchy that by luke you know choosing that path to be a jedi that he's climbing up a moral hierarchy of, you know, individuality, but more towards service to others. Um, because I can, I feel like it can almost be taking this broad stroke that we're all equal in some regards at the highest level of the universe, we're all connected to one another, but isn't that, you know, why we're here is we're divided, you know, down through the spheres or, or dimensions to where we're at here and that we have to work with where we are. So I'm curious what you think of that. Yeah, it's both, right? We are part of the whole, but we are not the whole. I think one of the biggest, we are not in this form, the whole. It's kind of the same problem with saying Jesus Christ is literally God. Mm -hmm. You're deifying a man and a man cannot be the totality of nature because it's mm -hmm. just one man. Mm -hmm. The totality of nature is within that man because that man is within the totality of nature in a sense, that divine spark. But I, uh, one of the most, and this is very unpopular, a lot of, even for like my old self, I would have probably disagreed with this, but uh, we're not actually God. So that's a big poisonous new age, new cage, false reality to put on people. That's actually like, that's sort of the, uh, the negative aspect of the Lucifer archetype or the Prometheus archetype, which also has positive aspects. Mm -hmm. um, and if we, you know, if we believe that we are God or we believe Jesus Christ is literally God and we've missed what the definition of what truth or, or what God actually was, which is the totality of all things. Now you have a universe inside you. I will not say that you don't. And you are a co-creator in this universe. You co-create with God or with nature. I, both of those things I think are true. But I think it's important not to invest the uh, ego with more than what it actually needs and all the ego really needs is for you to accept it yourself for who you are as a um, living man or woman <laughs> and under or within God, as opposed to trying to be God. Because as soon as you, as soon as you believe that you're literally God, it's at first you're like, Oh, this is empowering. I can, anything that I think I can manifest into the reality. And to some degree, that's actually true. But now you've put yourself as responsible for all the darkness around you in a way like, mm. I, I know people that think this way and I love them, but you know, they might come over, 
the person I'm thinking of, for example, they might come over to your house and uh, without asking, just like, you know, eat a bunch of your food. And then if you got onto them about it, they'd be like, well, actually your, you know, anger with me right now is just a reflection of something inside of you that you need to work on. And I just be like, no, it's because you stole from me. <laughs> right. So yeah. let's talk about that a little bit more. Like what, equal rights actually means because this is really lost on people. I agree that we should treat each other all how we want to be treated mm -hmm. and that in nature, we are all equal because in nature, we're all nameless and we're all ambiguous in just, we just are in existence and that's our equality. Mm -hmm. We're all equally valuable to the creation, if you will. And that's because to the creation, we're priceless. We have no value, mm -hmm. which is what makes us equal. But the inversion comes in, all right? So we're, gonna, we're now going to say that we're going to use the government to say that everyone's equal. We're going to put your rights on a piece of paper, and these are your rights. Now you've been made equal by becoming priceless, but in a different way, because you are now valueless in a system of value, as opposed to being valueless in a system without, without artificial valuation, mm -hmm. which is, is this making sense, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, your actual rights given to you or natural, I don't even want to say given to you. They just are what they just are. Your natural rights are negative in nature. And this is a legal phraseology. You brought up word magic being helpful to breaking the spells. Well, learning the legal language will accelerate your, you a lot is boring, but the legal language that what they call legalese is actually a separate language that's copyrighted and owned by the crown corporation. And, uh, those copyrighted word meanings never change. It's not like our language that shifts and we have new slang all the time and like the meaning of a word gradually drifts over time. It's like Latin. It's a dead language. Language of death. It doesn't change. It's not evolving. It's not the common tongue. It's not the vulgar tongue as they refer to it with, in a derisive way. Um, which means that until they want to change the meaning of a definition, it stays exactly what it is and they know what they're saying to each other in their lawyer you know, enclaves or whatever. So you've got, you've got this idea of negative rights in law. If something is negative, it means it can only be defined by what it's not. And it's the same as the, uh, I like to call it the like apotheosis of truth or the, the way to apotheosis for a human being is by ruling out everything that they're not to know what they are. Mm -hmm. So when, you're, when you have, are talking about infinity, when you're talking about God, when you're talking about the eternal, you can only describe it by describing what it isn't. Because as soon as you try to describe what it is, well, you didn't describe the other things that it is also. You couldn't encompass all of it. You're putting it into a thingness. The same goes for our rights. Like negative rights means you have the right to do anything, but you don't have the right to do things that harm other people. Or it's basic as that, like don't steal, don't kill, don't defraud, whatever your conscience tells you that you shouldn't do to somebody else because you wouldn't like it to be done to you. It's really that easy. That's the extent of rights. That's all that natural rights are, is that you have every right. <laughs> Everything's right, except the few things that are not. Now, when it comes to positively applied rights and equality under the legal system, as opposed to natural law, your rights are now invested to you by a document that lists them out specifically. You have the right to free speech, the right to bear arms, the right to freedom of assembly, yada, yada. Which means that anything that's not exp expressly on that list is not your right. And that is wrong. 
<laughs> and the way that we get equality through the legal system is only ever through being all brought down to a lowest common denominator as slaves. Mm. You cannot, the entire legal system is all about granting rights to people or organizations that are considered persons that they would not have in nature. So the only reason, if, if there was no government, for example, and some guy with the M16 started shooting up people of a different skin color, well, he would have no support from anybody else in that behavior, whether it was his own family or the people he was attacking. Nobody would support that. He doesn't have the right to do that. He's just killing people. Mm. But now all of a sudden we have a, a title granted legally, a legal status called soldier, uh, United States Armed Forces or whatever. You've got a license to kill. As long as you had the right proper order chain of command to do that thing, you have the right to do it. So there's nothing about rights under governments that are natural or moral. Mm. The only rights that government can give you that you didn't already have from God are rights to do things that you didn't have the right to do under nature or under God. Mm. And it's like even the medical profession, they've got a license to do harm mm. and get away with it. It's an unpopular opinion in some circles, but mm. it's a fact. Like doctors kill more people than any other uh, reason that people die. Mm. And it's not even measured or tracked because in the hospital, whenever they have a code, they have a list of codes of like cause of death, all the different ways that someone may, may have checked out in the hospital and death by doctor, death by malpractice or medical mistake. It's not on the code list. Mm. So we don't even really have an accurate gauge of how often this is happening. And in terms of when some doctor mistake only just causes someone harm that doesn't kill them and perpetuates their dis-ease, well, that's called business as usual. So I'm kind of I'm kind of pivoting into talking about about uh, health stuff, but I hope that answers the question about rights. That we our rights are basically the same as the Creator. They're infinite, except for the few things that they're not that we know they're not. And any system that's trying to impose rights from a legal perspective is actually trying to enslave and control people, and is not your friend. Like why why is there a difference between men's rights and women's rights? It's because we have a legal status called woman that's different than man. <laughs> yeah. We're actually, another unpopular opinion, we're actually all men, kind of like all horses are horses. There's a male horse and a female horse. There's male men and female men. And that's, a, I think that's a totally healthy way to look at humanity as opposed to saying man and woman are different things, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, that's just an, one of many uh, of the artificial axes of division that are uh, thrown at into our minds, thrown at us so that we will not ever be truly equal under nature and only ever consider each other based on whatever legal status or flattering title that the other person has or that we have and how that, how they relate to each other and who gets to be master and who gets to be slave in this little play, whatever the interaction is. Yeah. I feel like the, the master slave dynamic has become so prevalent in that, you know, some people say, oh, if only everyone took ayahuasca, if only everyone was into this knowledge. And I don't really think that it's meant for every person on the planet to get what we're talking about right now. But if those who are meant to get it are, you know, gathering themselves and empowering themselves with this knowledge, then, you know, there can be a new paradigm built. And who's to say that those that, you know, might be in a paradigm of totalitarianism and this collective 
you know, society that it's not serving them on some level because they're actually needing the master slave dynamic, you know? So it's like, really, we need to start reflecting on ourselves more of how can we, you know, unshackle ourselves from that paradigm of appeal to authority that we've brought up in and that it's not always pointing the finger at the master. It's how have we been a slave? How can we, you know, get rid of the programming, the conditioning, and actually implement the positive programming, like you were saying with, you know, positive thoughts and intention and prayer and, and things like that. Uh, as we're wrapping up um, the last couple minutes here, I uh, really liked what you said with law and law of the land versus what is legal, because when we're playing this legal dynamic, it's really solidifying their paper-based reality that they have us in with the straw man and, you know, when you're born, you get this separate entity and your whole life, you're just putting in ten your attention, your energy into this playground that they've constructed of, oh, you're operating here. This is your debit card. They're using a different language for what your name is, you know, and it's really being able to see this is, is the second you can stop operating in the ritualistic aspect of it. You know, I'm I heard voting. It, Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's so much of my peers, they're good intentioned, but isn't that we need to be well informed and not just well intentioned in this day and age, because all of this political activism energy really should be going towards the grassroots. And so much of it is directed into once again, solidifying that paradigm of control that we're in. So yeah, this is not the time to be out on the streets protesting or rioting for any reason. Mm. There would be a time where that might be actually, that might actually be helpful to like a lot of us take to the streets and be like, yeah, but not right now. Right now, I mean, I got to take my own advice, but right now you should be thinking about how much food can I grow for myself next mm. year? You know, things like that. Get better at the things that will help you be more self-reliant. I mean, we shouldn't believe for a second that any of us are ever going to be a hundred percent self-reliant, leave Babylon and go walk around the woods by ourselves. Maybe a few people will do that, but that's kind of why I'm in between like the Clint Richardson, leave it all behind and the James true salt, the beast with your flavor. <laughs> uh, because I mean, as far as I can tell, Babylon's been here for at least forever. <laughs> There's so much though, that we we're, we're on the verge of discovering things that no one has known for a at least hundreds of years. Like when you start getting into alternative chronology, looking at the huge inconsistencies with the history that was given to us on a platter by Vatican and Royals versus what we can find with real world artifacts. Like people just go look into the world's fairs that happened a hundred years ago or so. They are the most unbelievable un inconsistent stories of history you'll ever find. These giant complexes of buildings that can hold hundreds of thousands of people all in this amazing uh, stonework, what appears to be the Greco-Roman style. Mm -hmm. And they claim that a few thousand people came and set up a, a new town like Salt Lake City or, or someplace like 12,000 people come in and they build buildings like this immediately that are bigger than the way bigger than what they would need. And then a few years later, it burns down or they tear it down stone by stone and throw it in the dump and see these old photographs of things. And I'm trying to be as concise as I can about explaining this, but I want you guys to look into 
this stuff. Uh, John Levi is a really good YouTube channel, for mm. example. But the, just look up like, look up the World's Fairs mysteries. There's a good Crow episode about it recently, and you'll find out that it seems like there was actually even as recently as like a hundred years or maybe a little longer ago than that, already a big thriving, flourishing worldwide civilization that had a different uh, way of doing technology that kind of like the Tesla idea of just drawing the electricity out of the earth and, and wiring everything that way. Seems like that was all here and somebody like killed everybody or something reset everything. And uh, then they just moved in they're already indoctrinated slaves into these regions, set them up and gave them the history they wanted them to believe and went from there because there's no way that some of these just historical artifacts in the form of buildings could have, could have come about the way that we're told that they came about. Mm. Like things that are claimed to have been built in less than a year that modern architects would say, I would need 20 years to build all that and thousands and thousands of people, you know, or they could say, I can't even build that now. I have no idea how they did that. Stonework that was so um, solid that they couldn't even blow it up with dynamite. Like dynamite barely scratched some of these buildings. And we know more about the demolition than we do the construction of, of all this stuff. And so this is like a, a big side tangent, but it's, that's the, I think that's where the actionable intelligence is right now in 2021 is uh, diverting your attention from the circus that they want you to pay attention to. Mm. And putting it into figuring out where the hell we actually came from. And by doing that, we might start to figure out, well, why did they build things the way they did? Because at some point, we're going to be building new things ourselves uh, going forward once we're replacing Babylon with our own society, yeah. right? So I think it's good to learn. And there's so much undiscovered information out there, even in your own town. Like the town I'm in, it's not a very big town, 150, 180,000 people but I can find evidence in old buildings that don't seem to actually fit the story of how this town came about mm. or that look like they were uh, buried halfway up the building with mud at some point, like some cataclysm that is not in our historical record. So that's kind of a bunch of random stuff. I hope that people check into it though, because I think that is the most fascinating, if not maybe even what they least want you to know about, because if we can, unravel the lie with historical artifacts that you can actually point to and say like, look, where the hell did this come from? What is this? Well, maybe it'll be easier for people to reject all the other lies that are built on top of it. I always think you got to get to the root and the foundational lies first and take on those. That's why I had <laughs> David Weiss from deep, deep in the rabbit hole on to talk about the, uh, the shape of the earth, <laughs> that conversation, because that's a foundational thing and we, should, we shouldn't be afraid to explore and examine even and challenge even the most foundational assumptions we've got. So anyway, thanks for letting me talk at you. I've had a lot of fun. This has been a good conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Feel the flow state. Um, I feel like what you're hitting on with just to wrap up for myself, the ancient civilizations has been a huge part of my remembrance of myself in taking myself off this linear timeline of just, Oh, we've progressed from ape to man throughout the ages. And, you know, we're just here now. Everything's, you know, seems to be falling around us, but we're the most advanced we've ever been. And I had to scratch my head at this, you know, when you realize there's 10 ton stones in Saxe Waman of Peru, how are they moving these things? And how is the 
You couldn't even fit a piece me? of paper between the two stones. It's, the yeah. stonework is so tight. Yeah. And how are you going to tell me that, you know, the pyramids were just, uh, you know, a tomb for the pharaohs and there's never been a pharaoh found there. And then you discover more that these were mystery in initiation centers and, you know, completely able to harness the energy of that area and built on the ley lines. Yeah. Just uh, for those listening, definitely research true history of ancient Egypt or maybe it's Atlantean. That's a tough one too. That's a well that's been very badly poisoned by a field called Egyptology and the gatekeepers totally. of, of that world. Mm. But still good stuff to be mined out of that as well. Yeah. As well as the, you know, you can see the, the work of certain individuals. Um, R.A. Schwaller de Lubix would be a good one for investigating the true uh, Egypt history and maybe going into how the Mayan civilization and the Egyptians have these common threads from Atlantis. So that's just to give, you know, you guys maybe some threads to go down, investigate where we come from. So Chance, if you wanted to wrap up with where can the listeners find you and computer died at the end there as I was just about to ask Chance where the listeners can find him. So check him out over at Innerverse Podcast. Uh, he has an Instagram as well as he's on all podcast platforms. His show is one of my favorites. There is so many potent guests on there uh, as well as you probably saw today that Chance brings a lot of knowledge to the table himself. So appreciate him for coming on, having this discussion. Appreciate those who listened. Um, and I hope that you stick with this show through the new embodiment as we delve into the second season here and dive deeper. Um, cultivating more solo casts, having on more high-level guests to be able to challenge my own interviewing abilities um, and to be able to spread the message further with this podcast so leave a rating and review if you enjoyed and have a good rest of your day or night